Welcome everybody, my name is Mikhail Nasrani, and this is Islam for Christians, episode 26, Quran, Surah 110, on Nasr, the Divine Support. When Allah's succor and the triumph cometh, and thou seest mankind entering the religion of Allah in troops, then hymn the praises of thy Lord, and seek forgiveness of him. Lo, he is ever ready to show mercy. And now the Arabic, as recited by Saad al Ghamdi. <laughs> At first glance, this very short surah looks amazingly prophetic, at least from a historical perspective in Arabia, because that's exactly what happened, isn't it? God's religion triumphed, and everyone flocked to the banner of Islam, at least in Arabia. But there is something very important about this surah to remember when you're reading it. Unlike most of the later numbered, shorter surahs, this is actually a Medinan surah. And not just a Medinan surah, it was revealed a few months before Muhammad's death. It's actually the last complete surah to be revealed by Muhammad. So this is more of a backward-looking surah than a forward-looking one. It's not a prophecy, but rather a, re a reminder to the Islamic community that they need to be good winners. The message is similar to what a coach says to a team that just won a championship. Yeah, that was great, but next season has already started. If you want to be here again, if you want to maintain excellence, you cannot be complacent. You cannot let up. Or just maybe someone who wants it more will get the title this year. Or to use a non-sports metaphor, uh, there's the whisper in the great Roman's ear as he is triumphing through the streets of Rome. Thou art mortal. Thou art mortal. The last line in this surah is an important reminder that all victory belongs to Allah, not to any individuals or any group, and not even to God's messenger. And it's far better for you and for the community that you constantly praise God and deflect praise to him as well. It helps a person remember his correct place on earth, as well as his true nature. Muhammad said something very interesting at the time of this revelation. He said, quote, People have entered God's religion in great numbers, and they shall leave it in great numbers. End quote. Now that's the part of this that could turn out to be prophetic. And great numbers is probably a better contemporary translation of the end of that second line, just to dive into the Arabic for a second here. That line that says that they will enter the religion of God in troops. Really, there is no direct military connotation here. At least I don't think so. It's also translated as hosts or crowds in other translations. The word in question is afwajan, which is translated as in crowds or in droves. Now, that can be a mob, it could be a crowd, it could be a bunch of people at the Hajj pilgrimage. Uh, it's a version of the noun fa'uj, and it's plural afwaj, 
which does usually carry a military connotation. Thus, the reason Pickthal, the translation you saw, used the word troops. Despite that, still, I don't think there is a military meaning here. Thus, the other translations. The last line implores Muslims to praise the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. And there's actually an echo of the Old Testament in this, with the idea that a failure to live up to God's religion could mean grave consequences for the nation as a whole. For the Hebrews, it was just one ethnicity and one God. And at the time of Muhammad's death, that was actually sort of true as well. You know, it was one God for one specific ethnicity, because Islam wasn't officially an Arab religion, but most of its adherents and all the important early Muslims except Bilal were Arabs. Not that it wasn't a universal message, but at the time, in practicality, it was an Arab message. Now, Mecca and Medina were under Arab and Muslim control, and for more than a thousand years, Jerusalem would be as well. And if this is the case, that the health of the nation is tied to its piety, like in the Old Testament, you know, it, the health of the nation, the even the existence of the nation, you know, if this is tied to how Islamic its people are, and I'm not saying that's the case, but just if it is, then the Muslim world and Arabia in particular, might want to see where it may have made a wrong turn. Because this observation is the driving force behind so many fundamentalist revival movements, explaining the Arab world's failures through a failure to live Islamically. If the Jews lost Jerusalem because they weren't being Jewish enough, did the Muslims lose Jerusalem because they weren't being Islamic enough? And let's face it, at the moment, Jerusalem is looking more and more like it will forever be under Israeli control. I'm not saying they're going to destroy the Dome of the Rock or anything and rebuild the temple anytime soon, but you have to admit, it is very obvious who is now in charge of Jerusalem and that entire region. Still, it would take something rather extraordinary for the Muslims to actually lose Mecca and Medina. And that has never happened, actually, and it probably never will happen. That is, unless the Muslims really, really screw up in a major way. Now, I'm mostly kidding about that, and mostly because Muslims simply can't infer a cause and act like the Israelis did. The Old Testament repeats the pattern. The people screw up, God punishes them. Eventually, they lose their country. Twice. But should this type of story, this association of sin with the fate of the nation, be of any concern to Muslims? Probably not. For one thing, they're an unfathomably larger population than the ancient Israelites. And they don't have one state, or one king, or one great priest, or even a constant string of prophets. There are at least 30 Muslim countries. Is Indonesia's failure Egypt's doom? Not really. That's why in Islam, like in Christianity, the primary unit is often the individual rather than the entire ummah or the community. So yes, a proper Islamic society is important, but groups do not go to hell. Individuals go to hell. And in that way, Islam is at risk of people leaving in droves. They face a problem similar to that of Christianity in the West. And it's at that individual level that Muhammad's fears may be realized. And I think that's what he really meant anyway. He knew he wouldn't be there forever. And he knew that people can't be counted on to understand important things. 
The majority will never be spiritually literate, and idiots will always outnumber the wise. So on that note, here's a thought exercise. Just imagine Muhammad in the afterlife with the ability to see everything on earth. Which would break his heart more, the reconquista of Spain or the mass secularization of Muslims? Almost surely it would be the latter. Land can be reconquered, if that's even necessary. But if God's religion begins to disappear, and Muhammad was indeed the final prophet, that is an unfixable disaster. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.